down and share that word with everybody? Yesterday during our prayer time, God really, we had a powerful prayer meeting here yesterday. I think Jim said almost 40 people were here yesterday. And, uh, um, and God was speaking, and there were gifts of, of prophecy that were happening. And God gave Adam prophecy, and uh, he said that he really felt like it was for this today. And uh, after he shared it with me, I agree with him. So I wanted to give him the opportunity uh, to be able to share that with you. There you go, buddy. You're all set. There are some who have grown weary, some that have stumbled and fallen, but God said that if we come back, we don't have to start at the beginning. He will put us back on his path at the same point as where we left it. He is faithful. Amen. Amen. Do you receive that? Good. Thank you, buddy. Amen. You know, it's a little nerve-wracking standing in front of you people. And uh, so thank you, Adam, for sharing that. Praise the Lord. So I'm going to start a new series today, and uh, you know, it's one of these series that I, I, in, a, in some ways I struggle with it, and I'll explain why I struggle with it, and then we'll move, we'll move into it. But as we have heard from the Word of the Lord for this year that God spoke and said out of Joshua chapter 3, verse 5, that He says, consecrate yourself or sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow I'll do wonders among you. And that one translation of that, the CEV version, says, prepare yourself for worship, prepare yourself for worship, for tomorrow I'm going to do some great things in your life. And God really spoke to me, uh, during, especially during the holidays as I was studying this out even more about sanctification, about consecration, and, uh, you know, sometimes we get some wrong ideas about sanctification, but consecration is extremely important in our lives. God is holy. God is holy. And he tells us, be holy because I'm holy. Be like me. Be holy. And, and, and remember, holiness is not about all the stuff you give up. It's about all the stuff that comes into your life that God has ordained for your life. And so I really started praying over this, and I was studying in the book of Timothy about how that in the last days it says that it will be perilous times and difficult times, stressful times, one translation says. And it says that men will be lovers of themselves in the last days. It, men will be focused on their money more than they will anything else. And it goes on in the King James Version, and it says and men will be unholy. People will become unholy. And the New Living Translation of that verse says that nothing will be considered sacred. Nothing will be considered sacred. I talked to you a little bit about this last week, that we live in a world where there really is nothing sacred now. Marriage is not sacred. It's not considered, I mean, it is to us. I, I expect that it would be to us. But in our world, we would have to admit that marriage is not a sacred thing, that, you know, we have a, you know, we've got women marrying women. We've got men marrying men. We've got people just living together and never really thinking that they need to get married. We've got all that kind of stuff going on. And then the divorce rate. If you don't like who you're with, dump them, right? And, uh, you know, I'm not for staying in an abusive situation, definitely, but I definitely believe that God does not appreciate or in any way care for divorce in people's lives. Amen. And so these are touchy issues, you know, but look, that's the world that we live in. And really, in a lot of ways, the things that have been sacred 
have, have really dissipated. It's gone down and, and less and less. And the world is going to become more unholy, but the church cannot allow the influence of the world to drag us down. We cannot let that change what we believe and how we believe and that, that we stand for truth and for righteousness. And so as I started really praying over this, God was really dealing with me about a couple of things that he wanted me to teach this year, and, and then I'll talk to you about why I struggled with them. One was, uh, one was to talk about the Lord's Prayer. Now, we know the Lord's Prayer is in the Bible, but you know, I grew up in a denomination that in, we said the Lord's Prayer every week, and it didn't mean a thing to me. But that's not a problem with the Lord's Prayer. That's a problem with me. Amen. People, you know, somebody asked us, they said, you know, when we do the Lord's Prayer, it just seems like it's vain repetition. You know, we're saying the same thing over. Well, here's the thing. He said vain repetition, not repetition. God isn't opposed to repetition. He's, vain means empty repetition. It means your heart's not in it. You're just doing it. And, you know, so I was in a denominational environment most of my, you know, my Christian life growing up. And in that environment, every week we said the Lord's Prayer. And it really wasn't that sacred to me. It didn't mean anything to me. It didn't come from my heart. I was just parroting or saying what everybody else was saying. Another thing that we said was the, the, the Apostles' Creed. And uh, we would say it every week, you know, and especially when I became an Episcopal acolyte there for a while. And um, I know you didn't know that about me, but Chuck and I both have that in common. We were acolytes in the Episcopal Church. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, we would say the Apostles' Creed every week. And, but you know what? It didn't really mean anything to me. And so I said it every week, but it, it was empty. You know, when I grew up, I was taught the Ten Commandments. These are sacred things. I know it's hard to believe, but you know, when I grew up in school, and I'm sure for some of you this is true too, when I was in grade school, we used to say the Lord's Prayer every morning in school with the Pledge of Allegiance every morning. And if you had a real stickler teacher, they'd get out the Ten Commandments and teach them to you, right? So, I mean, there was a lot of Christian teaching that was happening in the public schools at one time. But of course, all that's gone away now, uh, for right now. But, but my point is, is that these are things we are taught that are sacred. The Ten Commandments are sacred truths that God revealed to man. It's God's word that he gave to mankind to be able to help them know how to draw closer to him and to experience the goodness. They're not a, a bunch of the ten things that tell you what you don't get to do. There's the Ten Commandments that God gives to us that have not passed away. Now, they're summed up, Jesus told us. They're all summed up by, you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind, with all your soul and with all your strength, and you'll love your neighbor as yourself. He says those are the two, those two things will sum up. But he didn't say dump the ten things to take the two. He said they're summed up in that we do the commandments out of love for God and we respect that what God has said in his word is the truth. You're all looking at me funny. Well, because it was so empty to me growing up, when at a point in my life I got real rebellious about creeds and about repetition. I just got to, you know, and especially when I got around the Spirit-filled people. And they didn't have any creeds, man. In Spirit-filled churches, anything went. I mean... You had people dancing, banging tambourines. You had raising their hands. 
I mean, the word was the word was preached from the Bible, and the music was awesome. I mean, it was I- incredible because uh, one, it wasn't as long as the hymns were, <laughs> right? Like we sang songs in that early charismatic days, we would sing like, there's a river of life flowing out from me, it makes the lame to walk and the blind to see, it opens prison doors, sets the captives free, there's a river of life flowing out of me. Anybody remember that song at all, or am I the only one? But there are songs like that. I mean, here's a real simple one we did. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I mean, you didn't need a hymn book to know how to do sing hallelujah, Right? But see, what happened is, is that as we moved into all of that, those things that, that really had value got set aside. They got pushed out of the way. And things like the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed is a really important piece of information for us. It's existed for a long time. The earliest record of the Apostles' Creed is back in 346 A.D. Now, there's a lot of speculation about where it was at before all of that. But basically, the idea behind the Apostles' Creed was that it was the teachings of the apostles that were surmised in a statement so that it would remove error from the church. The people said it to get error out of the church. And I'll talk to you about some of those errors that exist today that really these creeds would get rid of. Now, some of you have heard of the Nicene Creed. That's another one that was really about because people were teaching there was a lot of teaching that was going on that Jesus was, was uh, half God and half man. and so he, that, Or that Jesus was a created being. Jesus was not created. He always existed. He always existed. And he's not, he was never half God and half man. So they did the Nicene Creed to be able to talk about what, who Jesus really was so that people would have something solid to hold on to, to believe about who Jesus Christ was. The Athanasia Creed is another big one that was, came out later on. We're less familiar with that one, less familiar more with the Nicene for some. And then, of course, the Apostles' Creed, most people, especially if you grew up Catholic in the Catholic Church or Episcopal uh, or United Methodist, um, you probably said the Apostles' Creed at one time or another. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He was a Baptist, and I think this was really powerful. He said, a dead creed is of no use. We must have our creed baptized with the Holy Ghost. I think there's a lot of truth to that. So this is a little bit of a... My study has been awesome with this, and the information has been outstanding, but I still... I know that there is this tendency like, oh, great, pastor's turning us into a Catholic church now, Right? I know that happens in people's mentality, you know, the, but we're not. you got to trust me. Look, I've been here 30 years. I've never turned us into a Catholic church, okay? We're, we're a spirit-filled, Bible-believing church. But Bible-believing has creeds within it. Creeds are basically the word creed comes from the word credo, which means we believe this. This is what we, we believe. Well, we believe in confessing things, don't we? We confess things all the time. Not just sin. We confess what the Word says over our life. Creeds were never, creeds were, um, creeds are not magic things, you know, that people, the Apostles' Creed isn't like a magic thing, or even the Lord's Prayer is not a magic thing that if you say it enough times, then something will happen for you, okay? The Creed is not that way either. We don't just keep saying it over and over because it'll produce. So 
something. You know, someone that says, well, you need to go say, you know, 25 Our Fathers or you need to say the Apostles' Creed 30 times or whatever and then you'll be forgiven of your sins is nonsense. Jesus paid for your sins. You're forgiven when you ask for forgiveness. Can you say amen? But creeds do for you and I, they reflect what the Word of God says. You know, right now, we couldn't see it last night because it's been so cloudy, but there's a full moon out there. Yeah. That full moon, though, has no ability to produce light by itself, right? There's no, there's no energy in that moon that makes it be bright. It just happens to be in the right place to reflect the light of the sun wherever it's at. And then you and I see this full moon. It looks like it's lit up, but it's not. It has no power to light itself up. Creeds have no ability to be able to, to light, light on their own. They have no ability to, they have no authority, should we say, that uh, they only reflect, the, reflect, excuse me, the light of Scripture. Creeds are a set of biblical values, and here's what they do. They correct error. They correct error. So I want to read this to you, and I've got it in my notes. I don't know if they've got this upstairs or not, but you'll remember this, and I'm not asking you to say it with me right now. But this is what it says. Now listen to it. I believe in God the Father Almighty. He's the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Now, The one that you'll struggle with, just like I struggle with, is the word Catholic that's there. But Catholic means universal. It does not mean mean Roman Catholic, okay? There's a big difference. There is a Roman Catholic, and then there is what's called Catholic, which means universal, okay? That it's the worldwide church. So if we said it like that, that I believe in the Holy Spirit and the holy universal church the holy corporate church, the communion of the saints and the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Now, I don't see anything in that that I have trouble with spiritually or doctrinally. In fact, to me, it looks like a really good thing. I would want my kids to know this. I would want it to be taught in our children's ministry that they would know this. And the reason is because you don't always have your Bible with you, but these things reflect what the Bible says so they teach us the values of what the Scriptures teach us. You know, we believe in confession. I believe in confession. The, the confess, we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, but we only do that after we have believed in the heart. Just because somebody says they believe in Jesus doesn't mean they believe in Jesus. They've just confessed that they believe in Jesus. I've seen people that have given that have prayed the sinner's prayer that only did it to get rid of the person who was bugging them about praying the sinner's prayer. Anybody ever seen that? I mean, I've been with guys at restaurants that bug way, and I think it's a terrible place to do it, but they hit the waitress and set, you know, up with, you know, their, uh, 
there are two kinds. One guy would say there's two kinds of uh, people, those who know Jesus and those who are about to know Jesus. Which one are you? Well, you know, what are they going to say? And plus, they want to get tipped. And so they're going to do whatever they need to do to get you to leave them alone, right? And so, and, and so I've seen them pray, but they weren't, it didn't have any effect on them. They just did it because it was. And so just saying the right things doesn't change anything. Just because you said it. Just because you say, Jesus, okay, I believe in Jesus. Well, that's the same with these creeds. But if we believe in our heart, if we believe in our heart that these things are true, then we should be speaking them out of our mouth. And it says in Romans 10, 9 through 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the, one, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So two things that happen. We believe it, we confess it. Say that with me. I believe it, I confess it. Say it again. I believe it, I confess it. And I love this because it doesn't say here in this verse, it, it doesn't say they know in their heart. It says they believe in their heart. These are things we believe in our heart. We may not completely understand them, we may not completely know them, but we believe them because that is what the Scripture teaches us. Because something that is believed will move us towards action. Will move us towards action. Look, can I say this and be just real honest with you about it? There are lots of things you know that you don't do. There are lots of things that you know that you don't do. So, I mean, let's just throw out the beginning of the year. What should we, what, if we eat right and we exercise, will we be healthier? We all know that. Then why don't we eat right and why don't we exercise? I'm going to tell you why. Okay. Because we like to eat wrong, and we don't like to exercise. Are you all here? Do you, is, is, man, you agree with that, don't you? But you know that's not right. Exact, you know that's not right. See, when we believe something, not just know it, but when we believe something, it moves us towards, it opens that opportunity for action and for us to be able to begin to speak that. Belief is always birthed in the heart, always is birthed in the heart. Moral religions, you know, the, the other religions that are out there, they set a bar you have to measure up to. So their faith is based upon, their faith is, uh, our faith is based upon, I believe, their faith is based on the things that they do. You and I start with faith. We write, you know, people get worried in the church. They're like, how can this person come to church when they live this way? Well, look, we're trying to teach them to believe differently, which will lead them to actions that will change their lives. So if you say, well, you've got to change, then you can come here, that doesn't work because they're just doing it because you're telling them or you're somehow scaring them and telling them, unless you do this, you can't be here and you won't get into heaven. What we do is we teach them different beliefs. We teach them what the scriptures say. Faith comes by and hearing by the Word of God. So when we teach the Word to people, 
what does it do? It changes what they believe. It changes what they believe. And what they believe, that really is out of us just teaching the right things, standing for the right things, and then allowing the Holy Spirit to work in their life. Amen. And can I just be honest with you? When you came to this church, you weren't that great anyway. So don't look at your neighbor and say, I think he's talking to you right now. You just weren't that, look, you had stuff in your life that wasn't that great. So so what do these creeds do for us? Well, here, let me give you four words. They create symmetry in our lives. They give us clarity. They create symmetry. They create clarity. They create community. And they create counsel. Now let's talk about what symmetry, symmetry is. All right, symmetry is balanced. No matter what gym you go to in the United States of America, you will, it, it doesn't matter what one. I've been to a bunch of different ones. The one I go to now, you will always find someone there that is really good at the bench press, really good at curls, has a big back, and has puny legs. You, you always, they didn't put any time into their legs. And so... And, and why didn't they do that? Because they wanted, because in their mind, they thought big chest, big arms, I look tough. But the truth is, is if you look at their legs, they don't have any, they have no symmetry to them. And so they might be big on top, but you could knock them over because they don't have any strength down here. See, to have symmetry, it's when we create balance in our lives where we are where, and this is, a, this is what creates symmetry for us. See, when we, teach, when we teach healing, people, oh, healing, yes, yes, I want to hear about healing. And when we teach prosperity, oh, he, prosperity, I want to prosper, I want to prosper. Deliver, oh, deliverance, I want to learn about deliverance. That's awesome. But when we say, okay, we're going to talk about the Apostles' Creed, like, well, how's that help me today? So what the creeds are, and when we, what we learn from the creeds, they're what I like to call their leg day. That's what we call them, weight world, you know, training world, leg day. And look, leg day is probably the hardest day of the week because you're creating strength, you're using more muscles, and you're using, really, when you do leg day in the gym, you're creating strength and balance. And, you know, when we get older... Uh, and you know this, as you get older, your balance starts going. You know why your balance starts going? Because you're not using your balance like you did as a kid. You're not using your legs to create strength in your legs. Your legs start getting weak. You can have weak arms, but if you don't have, but you have weak legs, you're going to start falling. You're going to start having issues. You'll have problems with your back. You'll have problems with your gut. You'll have problems. Yeah, I know. You need symmetry. We have to have symmetry in our lives. And that symmetry, that's the core strength. This is the foundation. You recognize your arms are not your foundation. Your chest is not your foundation. Your foundation is from here down. This is strong. You have stability in your life. This is strong. No matter what's happening around you, you can weather through the difficulties that you're facing. Take this away. Let this be weak. I don't care how big, how, I don't care how much you can bench press or how much you can lift with your arms. If you don't have strong legs, you're not going to be able to weather the storm. Spiritually, 
If you know a lot about healing, you know a lot about prosperity, look, you can know a lot about all those things, but if you don't know about the core beliefs that we have, who Jesus is, who the Father is, who, what, what, what the end times actually look like and what the Bible teaches about the end times, what the church is really all about, what the Holy Spirit does in the church, if we don't have that foundational stuff, then we're easily blown over in difficulty. We have to have that foundation. That's what the creeds do for us. They create symmetry. The creeds also create clarity about what it is that we believe. They did this huge study, and I think I was shocked by this. It was done by Lifeway and Legionnaire Ministries, which talked to evangelicals. They did not talk to people that were not Christian, um, uh, or they just talked to people that had an evangelical sway to their beliefs. Listen to this. There were many out of that that denied that Jesus is God in the flesh. They denied the deity of Christ, and they denied that the Holy Spirit is a person. They just thought he was wind, or a dove, or just an apparition, a ghost. 50% of evangelicals do not believe the Bible is God's word, or that it's true. Now, you can, you, you can if we're going to influence the world, and we have no compass points to be guided by except whatever we decide is a compass point okay now you understand why the world is in the state that it's in right now if half of the evangelicals and that's going to be pentecostals in there too if the half the evangelicals are like well i don't even believe that the bible is god's word i think that's open to interpretation right okay so what's going to happen with that i don't what happens when we do that we have the days of the judges because now we don't have the word of the Lord. We have the days of the judges. And in the days of the judges, what did everybody do? Whatever they thought was right in their own sight. So you tell me, are you guided by compass points or are you just go whatever direction you feel like today? Yeah, this is really great, Pastor. Thanks. Wow, this, this doesn't get any better. Listen to this. I, I, I couldn't believe this. Many evangelicals feel that worshiping alone is just as valid as attending corporate worship. Many. And especially since COVID, you know, and people have been able to watch it online, they're like, no, no, I'll just watch Stephen Furtick and sing their, not evolution songs, elevation songs. I'll sing their elevation songs, and I'm having an experience with God, and that's all that I need. Well, let me just tell you that historically, according to what Jesus taught, that and, and, and according to what the apostles taught and what has been taught in the church through the years, that look, worshiping alone, that's great, you can do that, but there is tremendous value and importance by us gathering together as believers. Gathering together as believers. I'll get into that more as we get closer to it. See, what's happened in the church because we've lost our foundational truths is, is that pragmatism has taken over. And, and you see it. You can just look at the sermon titles. If you go, you know, go on the web and look at churches, what their sermon titles are. Sermon titles typically are very pragmatic because what they're doing is they're saying, this is what you need right now. Let me tell you how to get it. So I need money. So I'm going to teach you about how to get money. I need health. So I'm going to teach you about how to get health. 
And see, we don't necessarily think it's exciting in, in the evangelical world that we don't think it's that exciting to just hear things about what we're going to today talk about who the Heavenly Father is. Who do you believe He is? And let's talk about what the Bible teaches who the Heavenly Father really is. Let's talk about who Jesus really is. That He is, some of you have heard this term before, but He is the hypostatic union. He's the hypostatic union. That He is, he is all God and He is all man. Let's talk about who the Holy Spirit really is. Not just about how that he'll help you speak in tongues and do miracles and walk in power, but let's talk about who it is that we worship in God, the Holy Spirit, how that who he really is is a person and not just a give you what you want. Pragmatism is about what I need right now, and that's the world we live in, right? Look, I mean, you, you see it all the time. You probably get the emails too, all right? We know that the best way for you to get healthy is eat right and train. But man, if they make a pill, right, that you can dump 50 pounds, and when I say dump, I mean dump 50 pounds, that you'll lose weight within a week. Get the body you always wanted. Now look. That's pragmatism. I want an answer to my problem, and I want it now. All right, so I've messed my marriage up for the last 30 years, but I want you to fix it today. Boy, it got real quiet. That's pragmatism. See, and so we, we, have, to, we have to understand that that's where we're at, and that's why this becomes such a difficult thing for us in, in looking at and growing in this. Um, one of the things that's happened, and we do this, and I've done it too, is like when we bring our grandkids to church, we'll put them in children's church, and, and, and when we, they come out, the first question we ask them is, did you have fun? Right? That's pragmatism. See, what we're saying is that it isn't good unless you had fun. Well, let me tell you that there are a lot of things that you do that are really important. They ain't so fun. But it doesn't mean they're not important, right? Are you all here? No, man, there's lots of things. You get up and go to your job. It's not always fun to work, but you do it. But see, the thing is, is that when we teach kids, and I've done this with my grand, it's not about what did you, did you have fun, because we're not rooting them in the truths of Christ then. What we're rooting them in is emotion. And, you know, if we can get church, you know, and people say, well, why do you go to Amazing Because I go to Amazing Grace because it's fun. It's fun. Well, then I'm not doing my job because it's not supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be life-changing. Amen. So when, you, when we ask them, what, I, what I've been practicing learning to do is to say, what did you learn today? What did you learn in children's ministry today? And I had my one grandkid, you know, they did the, the, they said, here's my paper, read it. <laughs> right? Because we give those papers to them. You know, here's what I learned. You can read it right here, Papaw. Go ahead. I said, no, I'm not reading it. I want you to tell me what you learned in the class. Well, we talk, and then I find out they talked, they're, they're telling me something. Then I look at the paper, and it wasn't even what they talked about. So You'd agree with me, I think, that we have created within the church an entertainment mindset. 
I think you would have to agree with that. That it's how awesome the worship is. It's how great the orator, the preacher is. It's all how amazing the environment is. It's how beautiful the stage is. And do you, do you know that when the church started that none of that was really that important? That what was important was Jesus? What was important was knowing God the Father, the relationship and covenant that we have? I remember Brother Bardet, who a, was a, is a great preacher in Argentina, and I'd spent some time with him. And Brother Bardet was telling me about, yeah, we bought this piece of land, but we can't afford to build the building. And I said, so what did you do? He said, I told all the people to come out to the f- property, and we're going to have church there. And I said, really? And he said, I said, but you, he said, we couldn't afford to buy chairs. I said, so what'd you tell him to do? If you want a chair, bring a chair. And he said, hundreds and hundreds of people showed up. And I thought, well, that won't work in America. Because we want padded chairs, perfect air conditioning, perfect heating, which, look, if you've ever rode in a car with another person, you know there is no perfect air, no perfect heating. Try to do that for 300 people. Perfect lighting, perfect sound, perfect music, perfect worship. Everything's on key. Everything. Chuck never hits a sour note. And uh, and uh, right, yeah. <laughs> and everything's this this great smooth. It, and it, so what does it become about? It becomes about not the Father in heaven, but it becomes about me. And that's what pragmatism is. That's what pragmatism. They had a song years ago that went that they, they uh, worship song that said, it's not about me, it's all about you. But I think in the church, it could really be said, it's all about me, God, it's really not about you. It's what do you, what will you do for me? So we talk about symmetry, that the creeds bring symmetry to the church. They, they bring this uh, within us, they, they create this clarity of what it is that we believe. They create community. You know, our faith, that we have didn't just start when Pentecost happened in the, at Azusa Street. It didn't just happen whenever, it didn't happen when Martin Luther tacked up the, the thesis on the wall in Wittenberg. Our faith started thousands and thousands of years ago and has existed for those years. And people have been gathering to worship and to honor God and to, to, to and face incredibly. Look, I know we think we face big battles. These people faced incredible they battles, their friends were killed. They were Roman torches. I mean, all the things that happened where people were burned in the streets and beheaded and all those things. And the church endured through all of that and still met. They didn't, they didn't let when the government said you can't meet, stop them from meeting. And the government of the day did tell them, if we find out your meeting, your history, you're dead. You're going to prison, and then we'll kill you. We'll throw you into the... Look, to them, they were like, this is what we believe, and gathering with other believers is part of what we believe, and so we refuse what you're saying. We're not going to do what you said. We're going to do what we believe is the right thing to do in the sight of the Lord. I absolutely stand firm upon that thought. What we believe is helped people through very difficult battles, but yet they never lost their faith, even way worse than anything we're dealing with. Hebrews 12, 22 through 23 says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city 
of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable, innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Our family is a lot bigger than we think it is. Our family in the church is not only uh, is not only who we see here today, but it's historic. It's people that have been in the church at, through the years, thousands of years. Our church is global. There are people gathering around the world right now. We're part of that church with them. And it's multi-ethnic. It's all races. It's all people. You know, in Iran right now, the gospel is going forward. We preach in Pakistan uh, to the Muslim people. You know, most of those people that are Muslims in the Pakistan, they're only Muslims because nobody's told them there's anything any different. The minute they hear about Jesus Christ, their hearts open up. The Spirit of God speaks to them. We see every time that we preach in Pakistan online, between 90 to 120 believers new believers that come into the kingdom of God. We hand a, a Bible that's in the Urdu language into their hands, into their own language. They have a pastor now that will guide them and lead them in spiritual truths. We're a part of that family. We're a part of a community of believers. And it's important for us to recognize the value of community that we have. Our church family is a lot bigger. And when I think about it, you know, when I meditate on it, I think about how my uncle and aunt, even though they're in heaven now, my dad and my mom are in heaven now, my grandmother's in heaven now, I have other fam aunts and uncles that are in heaven now. And, but here's the thing, they're at the throne, they're in the worship in heaven, and when I worship here, they're worshiping there, and they are part of the same family of God because they're a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as this word says to us that, look, he is, we have come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled into heaven and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. We gather not just with those who are here, but with those who are there. We're joining the chorus of heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The last thing the creeds do Next week, we'll start breaking into this on the Father. They provide to us counsel. When I talk about counsel, I talk about how the, what that means for us is how the creeds are how we counsel, not just others, but how we counsel ourselves, how we talk to ourselves, how we look at difficulties when they come. You know, those creeds, what they provide for us, for example, part of that creed is, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. See, that's part of the creed, and that's how I counsel myself. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We, we strive for perfection, but there are still things. It tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, what happens for you and I as believers that we have the creeds to help us, to remind us this is, what I, this is what I believe. And they lead us to the Scripture. They are reflecting the light of Scripture, and they lead us to the Scripture. So when I sin, if I sin, when I fall short, I know that I'm forgiven. I don't have to get God to forgive me. I believe in the forgiveness of sins, that God has already made a choice to forgive me. And so I receive that forgiveness into my life. Can you say amen?
The creeds for the church, truthfully, have become its greatest act of rebellion and its greatest act of allegiance. It aligns us with the kingdom, and it says to the world, this is what we believe. Right now, the church is in crisis in what it believes. It is. The church is in crisis in what it believes. You know, there are threats now that are going out. I talked about this last week. There are threats that are going out now that are saying that if you do not do gay marriages in your church, we'll take away your 501c3 nonprofit status, and you'll, you'll, no, you'll no longer be able to give. People won't get tax exemption for giving. Here's the thing. If that's what you're looking for in a church, then you want a different church than this church. Because I will not let government ever or any man tell us what we will believe. The, the creeds are my allegiance. They are what I believe. When I stand up and I say the Pledge of Allegiance, I'm making a declaration of what I am aligned to. Amen. I'm making a declaration. You know, our Declaration of Independence is a creed. It's, it's a series of statements and confessions that were made of, this is what we are about. I haven't changed my belief in the, the Declaration of Independence. Our world is changing. It's our, our United States is changing. It's a, but I'm not. I'm not going to change my belief in the Bible just because someone tells me that marriage is now a man and a man or a woman and a woman. No, it's not. I believe life is valuable. I believe that a baby in the womb is a, is a life. Whether it's outside the womb or inside the womb, it's a life at conception. At conception. So when we talk about, you're all right, you don't need the lights to, to see me. When we talk about these truths, these creeds, what they do for us is they keep us, they keep us in that, those parameters. They keep us in that counsel, how we talk to ourselves. How we talk to ourselves. You know, there are Christians that get, are being deceived into becoming Jehovah Witnesses. There are Christians being deceived into becoming Mormons. There are Christians that are being deceived into forms of Buddhism that are out there. When you have creeds in your life, when you have a creed that you stand by, you immediately can detect that that is not right. You know. You say, well, no, the Holy Spirit will tell me. Well, that's true. The Holy Spirit will tell you but he'll better be able to tell you when you know what it is that the Bible teaches. Are you all here? Hallelujah. We refuse to believe the story our culture is telling us. And we say, this is what I believe. This is what I believe. You know, the, the world says... God loves all people if they believe in God. God loves all people. That's true. God wouldn't let anybody go to hell. That's a lie. In the creed, we say there is a day of judgment coming. We believe that. We absolutely know that that's true, that the Bible teaches that, that everybody's going to stand before the judgment seat, the, 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 the great white throne judgment that's going to happen. See, when we are rooted into something deep like the creeds rooted into the scriptures of the creed here's what happens it becomes difficult for things to move us in my backyard 
uh, in, when we lived here in Breckenridge, I had a crabapple tree. Now, crabapple trees are only awesome in the spring. How many of you have ever had a crabapple tree? I love them. I mean, in the spring, they're beautiful, all those beautiful blossoms. And then they're messy. They just start dumping stuff all over. The, I mean, they go from beautiful to being a pain. And you have to clean up the mess, and there's stuff everywhere. So I told Sharon, I said, I'm getting rid of that crabapple tree. Now it was only like about, I don't know, that crabapple tree was probably maybe 10 foot tall. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it rid of it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out, and I'm not just going to cut it down. I'm going to cut off part of it, but I'm going to then dig down around the roots, and I'm going to just pull it out of the ground because it's only 10 foot tall. It can't have that big of roots down underneath there, right? How many of you know I spent the whole day digging roots, busting roots, digging and digging and pulling and shoving? And see, what happens is when we're deeply rooted into something, we're just not so easily moved when things happen. So when you hear stuff on the news, if you're deeply rooted in the creed and the deeply rooted in what the Word says, yeah, you know, you're like, okay, well, that's not good, but God is still good. Amen? So as we dig into this, this will really help us. And, and so, you know, you might be like me. You're like, oh, Pastor, man, I don't know. We're going to get into all that stuff. I, I left all that when I left the Catholic Church or I left the Episcopal Church or the Presbyterians. Or, well, it doesn't mean it's not valuable and that we shouldn't learn from it. Amen? And I think we really do have to check our hearts. Have we become so pragmatic? that we only want to hear sermons that have to do with how can you fix my problem right now. I think we have to ask ourselves that. I think it's a legit question. Stand up with me if you would. Father, we're grateful for your truth. We're grateful for the life that you give to us, the guidance and the wisdom, Lord, that you give us from your word. Thank you, Lord, that you spoke to people And had them begin to write these things down, Lord, so that we would have a confession of faith. Something that we could confess over our lives, Lord God, as a church, as we gather. And to confess over our lives on a daily basis that we believe. This is what I believe. Lord, I pray, Lord, that in the weeks ahead, that, Lord, that our hearts will become more open to your truth. Lord, that... That, that will become more open to the idea of who you are and what you have and what you want to do in our lives, Lord God. Father, we want to know you, as Paul said, the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your suffering, and being made, Lord God, uh, to experience the fullness of who you are. I ask you, Father, to continue by your Holy Spirit to make those revelations clear to our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to open up the altar. If you would like prayer this morning, I'm going to ask the prayer team if you'd come. Did you have something, Carrie, that you were? Okay. So if you're part of the prayer team, I want you to come right now. We've got to figure out this light situation.